and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, the queen of PR might actually be getting her own reality TV show. Plus, we get into the nitty-gritty of the Influencer Olympics, otherwise known as Coachella, and the machinations of why Lara Bingle was slut-shamed out of the country. But first, Michelle, how was your week? It was a very good week. We went on a bit of a road trip to Ballarat together, which is about two hours out of Melbourne City for anyone who doesn't live here. Uh, And it was fun. We're working on a project which we will be able to announce in the first week of June. Sorry to be a clickbaiter. You hate (laughs) it when I clickbait things. I I also, I hate it when other people clickbait it. But I now from on the other side of it kind of understand that awkward dynamic of spending all your time working on something that you actually can't announce. Yeah, I always feel self-conscious when we're talking about how much we're working and how much we don't have work-life balance at the moment because I can imagine a lot of the listeners thinking, okay, they release two episodes of a podcast a week, <laughs> what Mish has a News Corp column, what the fuck are they doing with the rest of the time? We just um, go, to, go to cafes a lot. Yeah, we just go get brunch every day. So I wonder if there's that like knowledge gap maybe because we can't say what we're working on because we have to be annoying influencers in that regard. But it is a pretty big, well, it's a pretty big project, I would say. Well, there's more than one as well, (laughs) just to make this an even more annoying discussion. And they're launching both in June. Yeah, June's a big month. So we've been doing a lot of that. Um, Did you enjoy your week? I Tell did. Me. I think I have a recommendation, but it's only Melbourne-centric, what so I'm so sorry. do you so mean sorry. I think I have a recommendation? Well, I just think people should go to the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Oh, amazing, of course. I went with my sister Evelyn and my brother Tom this week to celebrate Evelyn's birthday, and we we got to the venue on time, but then I insisted on getting a Pinot Grigio, which meant that we were kind of sipping on our drinks for a while, and by the time we thought, oh, we should probably go find a seat in the actual venue upstairs – we were the last in line, which meant we had to sit in the front row of this comedy gala skit fest thing. Were you, were you tempted to sort of walk out? No. I think in my head I was like, this will be funny. Like, do it for the content. Yeah. Speak about it on the podcast. But my brother got so many little jabs thrown his way by every comedian that we saw. I felt quite guilty about that. Everyone thought that he was like some stud for having two women with him. I was going to say, was he sitting in the middle of you two as well? No, he was sitting to my left and Evelyn was on my right. So I was in the middle, but for some reason, everyone kept making like weird incest jokes. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing more comfortable than having those jokes be thrown at you with your siblings around. (laughs) I was also wearing a um, shameless merch tee and I did not think about it at the time. I was so mortified at the thought that a comedian might stop the show to ask me what my what the would slogan you have on said? my T-shirt. I don't. I would have said oh, I just got it at a shop. I think yeah. it would have been too awkward. Because imagine telling a stand-up comic that you have a podcast. <laughs> You've literally just given him an hour of content. Especially imagine telling a stand-up comic that you're a feminist who has a podcast. I just on, feel like that's too on much celebrity. Material. Yeah, exactly. What about your week? Um, week was great, as you would know. I, it has been really great having a lot of work to sort of, I don't know, sink our teeth into, for lack mm. of a better phrase. So Ballarat Road Trip was wonderful. I haven't yet been to the Comedy Festival, though. I bloody love the Comedy Festival every year. It is so good. You couldn't go to one last night. You had tickets to one. You didn't yeah. end up going. But working too much. I know. What a martyr. I, <laughs> it's true. No, not at all. I think if I can't make it this weekend, I might just try and binge some like stand-up comedy on Netflix or something because there is nothing better than sort of sitting in front of an hour of jokes and actually forcing yourself to laugh all the time. Yeah, and I actually put a... A comedy special by Jack Whitehall in the recommendations newsletter this week because I got home from the comedy festival and the first thing I said to Mitch was do you want to watch some stand-up I don't know it's kind of infectious once you watch one you want to watch it all maybe that's the one I'll watch yeah I mean I don't know if you're going to judge me though oh, why I, I with Jack Whitehall's comedy special it's funny don't get me wrong I laughed at a lot of points but at the points I didn't laugh at I felt like it was overly rehearsed I could imagine him telling that joke and retelling that joke multiple times which I really don't like. It was almost like overacted. Oh, no. Yeah. But you still found other jokes funny. That's Oh, God, yeah. I found some of it. The stuff I found funny I found hilarious and the stuff I didn't find funny really sank. Okay, I'll try to watch it and I will give you my review. Um, my one recommendation for this week is a little left of centre, I think. Ooh. Um, but last week, Boris Rostevsky was sentenced for the manslaughter of his wife. For those who aren't across the story or know who Boris is, 
He is a Melbourne man. His uh, late wife, Karen, went missing a couple of years ago, was missing for a very long time. And only very recently um, did he plead guilty to her death. It's still very unclear what happened. The reason that I'm bringing this up now is he was sentenced last, last week to about nine years jail, a minimum of six. And as is the case when these kinds of things break through the media, there is crazy amounts of outrage about the length of sentencing and how it's never going to be enough for the loss of a life. But there is a great podcast that's pretty high up in the charts at the moment by the Supreme Court of Victoria called Gertie's Law. And I really recommend anyone who finds themselves outraged, not just at the sentencing of Boris Rostevsky, but anybody else, any case that's sort of well-documented in the media to listen to the episode about sentencing. I think it's episode two because it gives you a very quick picture at how judges come to sentencing and why it is such a complex area of law and how the media often struggles to convey that message a little bit. Yeah. Um, I do wonder as well if like with the proliferation of crime content, true crime content in particular, if the public feels like they have a sense of ownership and great greater knowledge base about the legal system. And don't get me wrong, I get the outrage and I get the anger. And I think you've actually been a huge influence on me and that if this had happened to me when we weren't so close, like before I knew, not that we went through a patch of not being close. (laughs) That time we were always fighting. (laughs) Before I knew you, I probably would have put something on social media about it. However, now that I've got you as a close friend and you educate me a lot about the law, and I think you know a lot about the law through osmosis and that a lot of your family are in the legal arena. Well, yeah, my sister is a criminal lawyer. So I think that's why I'm, um, I gravitate to this a little bit more. And it's been really interesting growing up as a journalist and her growing up as a criminal lawyer, because those two things kind of don't marry very well. Mm. I think the the legal system get very frustrated with how the the media reports on their cases Mm. when the legal system is incredibly complex, incredibly hard to understand. And there is very strong um, and historic process into why things function as they do. So I really do recommend that if you ever find yourself outraged or sentenced, ever find yourself outraged by any story like this, go and listen to this podcast. I do think it's our responsibility to understand how the system functions and that it's not actually trying to work against us. I think there's this massive sense that our justice system is broken. Oh my God, our justice system has a major PR problem. Exactly, which is why I think this podcast couldn't come at a more important time. And that's not to say that every sentence is enough. And truthfully, to be honest, in this case, it's pretty damn hard to swallow that the price of a woman's life is six to nine years. But more generally, I think this podcast did encourage me to think about a range of factors before assuming that the justice system is broken in its entirety. Totally. Let's actually get into the show, please. Let's actually get into the show because we are starting with Roxy Jusenko just to kind of do a bit of a 180. Yes. Roxy Jusenko is having a pilot of a reality show made to then air on Channel 10 in their pilot week in the middle of this year. Reportedly. Well, reportedly, but it's almost definitely true because anyone who knows Roxy Jasenko knows that she's been angling to get a reality show for a very long time. She has. I think she's been trying to do it through Stan for a while. Yeah. So anyone who's not across Roxy, she's 39. She owns five businesses here in Australia. And she has really been straddling this line between businesswoman and celebrity for a very long time. She's got 233,000 followers on Instagram. And this is her third crack at reality TV fame. So the first one, I think it was going to be called The Sweatshop, which in hindsight, I'm very glad a show called The Sweatshop did not make it onto Australian television. It was a reality show based on her business and her life in, I think it was early 2010 or 2011. Oh, that's a little tone deaf. Yeah, the sweatshop talking about PR. Not sure if that's um, applicable. Not sure. Yeah. Then she was on The Apprentice a few years ago. She ended up losing to Stephanie Rice and that was supposedly some big feud that we should all care about. So this is her third crack and it's interesting timing, right? Totally. I think it's interesting timing for me because when it was leaked and I it was re- or leaked and reported that she was filming for the pilot week, she was also generating a ton of publicity because she gave an interview with news.com about how lazy Australians are quite generally when it comes to work. And so she said in this interview, I don't know what's happened with career advice in schools. It seems to be Australia's mentality. If you've been in a job five minutes, that's okay. Okay. There's just a lack of dedication, a lack of care. It upsets me. We're not Australian in the same way. We once were. We think good enough will do. It won't. If we want to succeed as a country, let's put the hours in. Mm. 
I have respect for Roxy, but I don't have respect for those quotes. No, I, it's a really interesting at a time when we have a huge and important conversations about mental health and us being overworked, us being busy, us always being on the clock and pushing this narrative of work-life balance being important and about life being about more than work. They're quite against the grain comments. Yeah, they are. And we had slightly different opinions on this. You thought it was a bit of a PR move that she came out with such flammable comments so soon before then announcing her or leaking her reality TV show. I, I don't doubt that she believes this. I think she very much believes these quotes. I just think anyone knows that this isn't a deliberately inflammatory thing to say publicly and that people aren't going to agree with you, particularly when you attach the millennial tagline to, to being lazy. Like people are going to come out with pitchforks. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was to stir controversy or public interest before the television show, though, because she says flammable things every week. She's always in the media for saying something controversial. I mean, just on the quotes for a quick second, it is a massive eye roll moment for me whenever this comes up because it is such a tendency of every generation to point the finger at the generation that comes after them and call them lazy, call them gluttonous and selfish and all of the things. Like, this is not a new phenomenon of generations speaking down to younger people. Totally. And the other thing that I find interesting is this quote, if we want to succeed as a country, let's put the hours in. Aren't we already succeeding as a country? Like what what are we doing that's making us innately unsuccessful? I think we have quite a prosperous country. I'm pretty sure all of the measurements of what makes a successful, prospering country, we're doing pretty well. Yeah. And work-life balance is a huge part of that, enable to be a productive worker and a happy worker. Let's get to the reality show because that is what we were meant to talk about. How do you actually feel about someone like Roxy Jusenko starring in her or potentially starring in her own reality show? I mean, it's fine. I'm not sure this format has worked overly well in Australia. I mean, we're going to talk about Lara Worthington in this episode anyway, but quickly here, Lara Worthington tried to create a very similar style reality show five, six, seven years ago, and it flopped after one season with Channel 10. So the fact that Channel 10 is now having another go with a fairly similar public figure, someone who's divisive, someone who's going to be taking around their day-to-day life. I'm not sure. I did watch Lara Bingle now, Lara Worthington show, and I'll probably watch this. I'm not sure if I'm the average person though. I don't think we are. I I think I was um, being Lara Bingle's number one fan. (laughs) I loved that show more than anything else. Um, So I will probably watch this too. I have to agree with you. I can't see longevity in this kind of setup of reality show, but perhaps that's what they know. Like maybe it is a one season fling. The little fact tidbit that I did really care about is the fact that this is expected, this reality show is being produced by Whipper from radio, as in Fitzy and Whipper. Whipper owns the production company that's now making Roxy's reality show. Correct. So Whipper um, operates two basic scoops media, which is like understood at the moment to be the production company behind the new reality show. I find this tidbit incredibly interesting because I didn't know that Whipper had a production company and I didn't know that that production company was therefore interested in producing Roxy Jusenko's reality show. But it does speak to how kind of, I don't know if I'm projecting here or drawing too long of a bow, but how kind of every man or every woman radio people have to be if if we knew they had pretty wildly successful businesses behind them, if we'd be as adoring or interested in in what they have to say. Absolutely. Would he become too much of an Eddie Maguire figure? Do you know what I mean? That this idea is Eddie Maguire tried to do it all and tried to do it all publicly and there's a lot of resentment there for him. I mean. Same with Husey. Yeah. You can't tell people that you've got $3 million to uh, splash on a blockhouse without that being something that people don't like or people want to keep talking about yeah so i don't know it could be interesting if whipper and and roxy jacenko are linked in this context i don't think that many people are going to care though like i don't think it's going to be the thing that the daily mail are reporting on i think it's kind of a niche interest for us yeah i do want to give a bit of a hat tip to 10 because we did we did criticize them last year when they came out with this pilot week idea and every single one of the pilots was male-led. They've finally come up with a female-led pilot and for that I will applaud them. Do I mean my applause applaud? will be semi-small because this shouldn't be a thing. But that's the thing. Do we need to hat tip them or applaud them for doing what they should have been doing all along? Well, I mean if we're going to slam them for no women and then if they came out with another season of no women or another round of pilots with no women, it would have been pretty gross. It'd be they've pretty got bad. A, at least we know they've got one woman. It's, it's true. a step in the right direction. There has to be more than one though that will that's actually a very interesting point um we will probably be covering this again this pilot <laughs> week because we absolutely took them to task last year so we should probably recalibrate this year when we find out what they're going to give us humans with fallopian tubes what a niche <laughs> 
Thank you, next bitch. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. I can't believe that's a sentence that I've now memorized in my brain forever. Zara. It's your turn. Glad to see you're so positive about the show. <laughs> um, number one on my list, Kim Kardashian finally explains her mysterious sinks. That is from Elle. This is the best story ever. That We do mean sinks as in dish sink. or Like tap sink. Tap sink. Or sure. Is that water, it? No. Kitchen, no. kitchen and bathroom sink. Oh, I love how I said tap sink and I didn't go to the most obvious answer. <laughs> I, you know, my, the next, this is like the world's worst game of um, family feud. My next answer was going to be water. Water sink. Oh, honey. I know. No. For anyone who missed it, this was something that came about after Vogue did 73 Questions with Kim Kardashian, their infamous YouTube series now. And so they went around. Infamous? infamous? Sure. I don't know. Famous? I don't, notorious? <laughs> Is it notorious? <laughs> Love? quite enjoyable to Popularized? watch. Popularized? Popularized YouTube series. Yeah, great. Viral? Viral. viral. <laughs> I know we don't use that word because we can't quantify the word, but I would say viral YouTube I'm going to say it's the jarring YouTube series. <laughs> 73 questions. They went around Kim Kardashian and Kanye West's home and one little detail stuck out to everyone on Twitter and that was the couple's sinks in that they don't fucking have any. So the taps were sort of sitting over island bench top, right? These massive marble bench tops, just taps, no little like, I don't know, concave there was no cavity for yeah. the sink there. And everyone was like, where does the water go? So how did she explain it? So she took everyone around in an Instagram video and had to physically show them how the taps work. So there's a very small slit yeah. in each bench where the water goes down. These apparently were made they were made like seven prototypes because Kanye West was hellbent on not wanting sinks in his house. So this company had to go and make all these different varieties of non-sink sinks. How many times can I say sink in one sentence? <laughs> it's a very niche little story we've got going on, but I am very interested. And so there is, there's a very, very slight dip in each marble bench top, but it's almost like invisible to the human eye. It's very slight. It means that the water runs down into this little slit, but you, I hate the word slit. You can't see it very easily. So she had to take the camera right up to the bench top to show you how it does, in fact, dip down. I love this. Lifestyles of the rich and famous, eh? This is what happens when you have too much money. I know. Number two, Fiona Faulkner is engaged to girlfriend and nine sports reporter Hayley Willis. That is from news.com. Context, please. I have no idea about this story. Fiona Faulkner shot to fame years and years ago on The Biggest Loser. She then returned to The Biggest Loser as a host and only in the last year or two um, started dating a woman who was then an AFL star. That relationship broke down. She started dating Nine Sports reporter Hayley Willis maybe nine months ago. Mm. They just got engaged on um, a holiday in Vanuatu and I thought it was a really nice, happy, feel-good story because they seem very happy. That's amazing. I do I do find it particularly interesting because Fiona Faulkner, when she did come out a couple of years ago, gave pretty limited detail and gave really kind of searing quotes at the time about how you know she was finally ready to kind of come in her own and do her own thing and put her happiness first so god knows how terrifying i guess it might have been being in the public eye when we kind of have been a very unforgiving society in the past for wanting to sort of enter into different kinds of relationships yeah i wonder who proposed to who um hayley proposed to fiona and i tell you what my favorite part about engagement photos is and this is like you're excited now here we go um this is quite a funny thing to say but when you can see they've clearly just taken a selfie straight after being proposed and you can kind of see the watery eyes because they've just been crying love that very sweet it is quite old school to get engaged after nine months but i appreciate that my parents got engaged after nine months and they were married for like 24 years so that's pretty successful quick yeah it is quick hey nah but i guess what do they say when you know you know (laughs) do you know (laughs) at least for 24 years (laughs) exactly number three taylor swift's new mystery countdown sets off seventh album speculation that is from vanity fair okay i love a t swift story you've got all the facts i believe on this i do and i am obsessed with this story i am a taylor swift fan as are you oh i went to her last concert and it was like the best night of my life was it better than because i found her one before that really really good i've been to every concert i know the last like four (laughs) this was the last concert was my favorite so far and i think it was because her last album wasn't my favorite no exactly and she clearly didn't really like that album too much either because it's not as if she put every song in this concert she only did a few and it was kind of like a best of. Oh, amazing. So then I would have all the good it. vibes, all the good vibes from all the concerts in one beautiful alchemy of a concert. So Taylor Swift's speculation around a new album has been around for quite a few months now. It's sort of when she started re-Instagramming after a bit of a hiatus. 
I'm going to take you through some facts and some clues as to how this has all been set off. I didn't do any of this work. I'm going to put my hand up and say the Washington Post and BuzzFeed News did a lot of this the work. The Washington Post. They did an amazing story about how hype around Taylor Swift's album now has got nothing to do with album sales and everything to do with her brand because she actually doesn't need to do this stuff in, a, in order to sell music anymore. No. Like her music's going to sell. But because for so many years now she's teased out her albums in a very specific way, she kind of has to keep doing it. Yeah. Anyway, the first time that fans noticed she potentially was going to drop another album was when she released her official 2019 calendar, right? And there was a mysterious butterfly stamp on the date April 13. So everyone was kind of bracing themselves for something to happen because 13 is widely regarded as her lucky number. number. So for those who don't know, (laughs) Michelle clearly does, (laughs) she used to paint um, 13 on her hand before every single concert. So 13 is an important number. Let's sit with that. And an album was called 13, wasn't it? Or a song was called 13. I mean, hasn't she had... I'm going to Google this while we talk. Continue. On April 13, sure enough, the countdown debuted on her Instagram account and on her website. So naturally, this this countdown is leading up to April 26, which means the whole countdown goes for 13 days. Oh. Okay. There is more to this as well. Last year, Swift posted an Instagram photo of herself playing Scrabble with her mum and Mm -hmm. wrote, let the games begin. Do you remember this? Yes. Because there was more speculation about what this meant. And I think we spoke about it on the podcast being like, oh, people are looking into this shit too much. Apparently, National Scrabble Day, as BuzzFeed pointed out, is on April 13. What? Yeah. More speculation even built in February when she posted like a very random photo of seven palm trees mm. and there were 61 stars in that photo and oh, 61 days after February 24 when that photo was posted is April 26, which oh is the day God. that the announcement is going to be announced. <gasps> I don't know if any of that made sense. What a genius. I mean, I just looked up 13 for anyone wondering and I was so wrong. Clearly not enough of a Taylor Swift fan. She doesn't have a song called 13, but she does have plenty of songs that have a 13 second intro a 13 second outro and she's got 13 on a number of her like fragrance boxes in her music videos it's a theme throughout all of her work and seems to be a theme right now with the new album this is quite remarkable Mm. not just on the on the behalf of taylor swift but on her fans too in in wanting to crack the code and you can kind of see how this builds the nicest kind of hype when people are trying to crack these codes and crack these riddles like it's it's a really universal experience it's fun it's like building communities isn't it exactly and i want to know what the butterfly means i want to know butterfly i want to know what all of it means i'm terrible at codes i'm terrible at riddles but i really am so excited to see on april 26 what's going to go down isn't it funny as well that she's gone from pythons and snakes to a butterfly i wonder if that's a metaphor for how she's moving on from the last album which was quite vengeful it was the whole kind of color scheme around that album was black red green green and orange like Mm. fire her instagram aesthetic very recently and i know that sounds quite dumb but this stuff to someone like taylor swift matters a lot Mm -hmm. is light baby pink butterflies rainbows puppies coming full circle doing the innocent thing again yeah it'd be kittens anyway not puppies we all know taylor swift loves her cats (laughs) number four i'm moving along now it is a bit hurtful bachelor in paradise's paddy collier is bombarded with death threats after saying he wanted to see his bisexual co-stars alex nation and brooke blurton kiss that is from the daily mail how shocking that a guy like paddy from the bachelor fetishizes women who like to kiss women First and foremost, nobody deserves death threats. But secondly, I agree with you. Oh, no, 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 no. Nobody deserves deserves death threats. Not at all. But just come on. Like, can we stop fetishizing same-sex couples now? I'm I'm really disappointed that they even, like, aired their reaction. Channel 10 aired the boys' kind of gross, blokey, um, titillated reaction by Mm. it all. Um, It was kind of like they were trying to make strides in in the show towards accepting same-sex relationships but I kind of feel like it cancelled it all out when they kept showing the boys being like I said titillated by the idea of two women kissing I agree number five (laughs) the Kendall effect that is from the Sydney Morning Herald sorry I gave you a three-word headline you did throw me this one no that's fine I know what this is about it's about Tiffany and Co right yeah because we spoke about Kendall being paid what was rumored to be five hundred thousand dollars to fly out to Tiffany and Co's flagship Sydney store a couple like a fortnight ago now I'm guessing 
So she was paid to open the store, walk in, do some press, whatever. And that was dubbed by the media in general as quite a frivolous, unusual move to spend so much money on one celebrity coming out for the day. Are you eating your hat right now? I am eating my hat right now. Is that a saying? Because I think, I don't know, probably. (laughs) I mean, we're tilting our hat to Channel 10 or tipping it and then I'm eating it later. So (laughs) who knows? Okay, have a nibble on your hat and tell me why. So apparently according to a source that spoke to Sydney Morning Herald, which I think would be quite reputable, the store beat their revenue targets by several hundred percent every day over the next week, far exceeding the price tag of Kendall Jenner's appearance fee. And apparently this source also said the appearance fee was far beyond $500,000, but that doesn't matter because they absolutely topped it with the amount of money they made from the press generated and the publicity generated from Kendall being at Tiffany & Co. Well, there you go to all the naysayers. The Kardashians still work. Yeah, they still work, particularly the Jenners. Yeah, I agree. Hey, that's all I've got for you. Thank you. Well, well, well. After two weekends of see-through skirts, face glitter and planted Instagram shots, it's about time we talked about the world's biggest music festival, Coachella. Otherwise known as the Influencer Olympics, Coachella content has been a fixture of our feeds for 14 days now and we feel a little bit exhausted. Zara, I think the best place to start on this deep dive is the obvious question. Did you feel a whole bunch of FOMO? Embarrassingly, because it might say a lot about my age or my dorkiness factor, (laughs) but not at all. Yeah, same. I actually felt kind of exhausted watching it all come through on my feeds over the weekend. Um, It does feel exhausting. It feels like a whole lot of effort. feels like a supreme spectacle, I guess. Um, And I just, I didn't feel like I wanted to be there at all. How did you feel? I felt the same. I felt Jomo. And we spoke about this with a friend at brunch today. I I had so much joy that I wasn't there. I had not a single part of me wanted to be at Coachella this year. Whereas in previous years, I wouldn't mind being there and getting dressed up and going and watching the different acts. But I don't know. I mean, it was a big year. They had Ariana Grande as the main headliner. She was apparently paid $8 million to do her two sets. They also had Childish Gambino, the 1975, Tame Impala, Khalid. They had a bunch of really high-profile acts, and yet I couldn't give a fuck. Why do you think that is? I think it might be because it's lost its coolness vibe. And, I I mean, this is a, a long spiel that I'll probably be diving into, but... I think Coachella has become a bit of an eye roll. It's lost that zeitgeisty cultural relevance that it used to have. And I think this largely ties back into how educated we are about the influencer economy. I think it's because it feels more of a marketing ploy than a public party. Yes, exactly right. We have learned a lot, particularly over the last six months, about how much money influencers make, how influencer marketing works, and we have a great insight into the machinations into the industry as a whole. I think I feel this disdain on some level for Coachella and for what Coachella represents and for what a lot of the brands involved in Coachella say. Well, it's interesting because it does feel like it has been saturated by brands and commercialization. And I don't think that's a new thing. I think that's always been the case. For example, in 2017, Coachella did become the highest grossing recurring festival of all time because it has such strong ties to brands, boasting a total income of $140 million. That's Australian dollars. Wow. Which is more than double what Glastonbury made in 2015 for context. So Glastonbury is a massive festival but they don't put nearly as much focus on the commercialization of itself, I mm. guess. I don't know if I was filled with similar disdain, though I was really interested in watching public disdain grow over the two weekends for the entire thing. Yeah, and this is the thing. I think in myself I have disdain for the festival. I don't know if it's right for me to say I've disdained towards influencers because I actually don't. I think it's a good way to make money if you can do it, ride that gravy train. Well, if someone offered to pay you to go to Coachella, would you go? If someone paid me to go, I would go. Of course I would go. Well, I mean, it's a it's a trip and it's travel and it's an experience, isn't it? But I do think, and I, I want to tie this back into the YouTube beauty community, weirdly. Remember how last year there was that scandal in the YouTube beauty community and it was like a viral infighting session for at least a couple of months where lots of beauty influencers were making tell-all 
videos about how much money they're being paid, how they make money, how the industry works, how much you can cash in just from promoting a single type of type of blush. Do you remember that? Uh, very vaguely. Can you give me some names? So uh, brands like ColourPop Cosmetics came out and gave this insight into how influencer marketing works and how much you have to pay an influencer just to get your brand mentioned in their video. And I think people were really stunned to hear the figures like $60,000 to mention a blush name if you've got a million subscribers. And things like that really created this animosity towards influencers and towards the influencer economy as a whole. So I think when I look at things like this and the number of memes and the sentiment online that this is the Influencer Olympics and that this is just a push for a million different Instagram brands, I think that ties back to this viral movement last year where we all became far more aware of how much money and how much privilege floods this entire world. I think there has to be something to that. I don't think it's the only reason to explain sort of influence apathy at the moment. I think it's a time thing. I do think that because it's not new or shiny or novelty anymore, we're sort of um, exhausted by the entire thing and sort of want to funnel our energy and our time online into other things. There was a great piece on GQ by Olive Pometsi, um, which was called How Sponsorship Swallowed Coachella. And she finished the story by saying, while a festival purist might scoff at the 19 sponsor strong commercialization of Coachella, it's impossible to deny that the strategy is effective. For the next two weekends, Coachella will be talked about globally and thanks to their savvy activations, its sponsors will be too. So for as much as we deride how commercial Coachella is um, and sort of how influencer active the entire festival it is it's working and it will work and it probably did work over the last two weekends oh I'm not denying this year was probably the most profitable year they've ever had that said I can feel it turning I feel the sentiment online not being as aspirational as it has been in the past now it's a source of mockery in that the people who go to Coachella are not derided, I I wouldn't use that term for it, but I would say that they're mocked. I would, that there's a lot of conversation going on, that the women going to this festival clearly have a lot of money and a lot of time on their hands. And I don't believe that, but that's definitely what I'm seeing in our Facebook group and what I'm seeing in Instagram comments. What do you mean the, the women that go to the festival? Well, this is the thing, right? Did you see, I put this up on our Instagram. So the New Yorker cartoon by Lila Ash really depicted this growing sentiment against Gen Z and against millennials that we are vacuous and stupid and dumb and that we're all party girls. And I think it is quite gendered that we often only speak about the women going to Coachella in this sense. It's never the men going to Coachella. Yeah, that that meme I found interesting and funny from a ha-ha perspective, but there are hundreds and thousands of men that go to this too. But Mm. there's something, you're absolutely right, there's something about the vacuous, overly girly, ridiculously dressed female or woman that is a much easier target. The airhead. I think we really really push this narrative that women who go to Coachella, particularly female influencers who go to Coachella, are airheads. So for anyone who missed it, you can go onto our Instagram page and see this cartoon now. But it was called In Her Bag. And in this bag, drawn by Lila Ash, the women going to Coachella had sage for cleansing, crystal for healing, a $27 vegan burrito, daddy's credit card and 80 HD pills for recreational purposes. I I think it's funny. Don't get me wrong. I think the the illustration itself is humorous, but I do think that our contempt for women who go to Coachella is it says a lot about us. It's steeped in sexism for sure. I also am exhausted by the idea that the influencers are the problem in this kind of setup. If you or I were offered or anyone else was offered to go to Coachella, we'd all go for work. I think it's come though at an interesting time in that we are starting to pivot with regards to the kinds of content that we're wanting to consume online. And I do think influencer disdain is at an all-time high. Um, And I do think from an optics point of view, it doesn't look like work. It Mm. is work for a lot of these people. But to the average punter, seeing hundreds of hot influencers come together to party doesn't seem like work. And I think that very naturally breeds contempt. Absolutely. I do want to talk to you, though, about Gigi Hadid working with McDonald's at Coachella because this was a thread in our Facebook group that gained a lot of momentum. I agree. This was really interesting to me. And I think this is one of the most stark examples of how much contempt was around 
Coachella to the point where we would be annoyed that Gigi had did was posting an ad for McDonald's fries at the festival. So her comments were flooded with criticism that she was going to be plugging McDonald's. Did you find this weird? Totally odd. And that's why I thought for me, it was like the last straw and the biggest example that something was up with Coachella this year. Yeah. And something's up with our attitude towards Gigi Hadid wanting to eat fries. I mean, I didn't see anything wrong with the collaboration between her and McDonald's, not simply because number one, I love McDonald's fries. And therefore, if McDonald's approached me and said, hey, do you want to work with us and take photo of you eating McDonald's? Like, hell yeah, I love McDonald's. Number one, that's the most important thing about working with any brand. But the the idea that Gigi shouldn't be working with anyone at Coachella or that she shouldn't be assimilating herself with junk food. Like she's always spoken about the fact that she likes fries. It just just feels very odd to me that we would feel anger about yeah, that collaboration. I think it says a lot about kind of the greater spectacle of Coachella and how much disdain existed around it all. I do think one factor we're ignoring, but we did touch on this a lot last year when we spoke about Coachella, is the fact that the festival itself and the festival community in general is very white. Mm. And I think it's not just about influencer contempt and disdain at the moment. I think it's contempt and disdain for anyone, any brand, any sort of um, big movement that doesn't want to put an effort into diversifying the people that are representing the brands or the people that are going to the festivals. So BuzzFeed News reported um, a self-reported survey of Coachella in 2013, which revealed that only 4.9% of festival goers were black. Mm. 4.9%, not even 5%. So I do think this is a major factor in why people are over the entire thing because I don't think we have time or patience for people who don't want to move into 2019. See, it's funny because I'm not sure if it's even a coloured thing and I'd love people to come talk to me about that in the Facebook group if you disagree. But what I'm seeing a lot is anger at body diversity. There is this idea that to celebrate at a festival and to wear festival fashion and to enjoy yourself with your friends at a festival, you need to be a size six or a size eight. And if you look around, I mean, a lot of brands are bringing in people of color, which is amazing. We need to be doing more of it at every corner. They are doing that this year, but still all of the influences being pulled along to these events are stick thin, which is fine, but where's the body diversity? And why are we not including women who are plus size and men who are not the perfect ideal body that you should aspire to be? Which brings us to this age-old question of what brands owe us in these kinds of setups. Like, do they owe us body diversity? I don't know if they owe it to us. I just think it's bad business now for them not to diversify. What do you think? Well, I mean, inevitably, they don't owe us anything, but I do think that a resistance to change and a resistance to move where everyone else is going socially and politically means that they will be left behind. They won't be as profitable down the track. Well, I think it's just going to be as exactly as you say, it's just going to be bad business. I did want to wrap this segment by talking about Beyonce because I kind of love how Beyonce has managed to overrun Coachella two years in a row now, even though she's not even there this year. I know it's crazy. The Netflix special is really great as well. I've watched the first half and I really enjoy the fact that Beyonce can give us a lot and can give us an insight into her life, but always holding us at arm's length. I feel like I know so little about Beyonce, but in saying that, I feel like I know a whole lot about her politics because I Mm. feel like that's the part of herself she chooses to show. Absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, has this entire segment been informed by the fact that we're just getting too old? Maybe. Potentially. I don't know. I would love to hear. I would love a smart thread in the Facebook group, not a bitchy thread, but a smart thread on the Facebook group about where this... Coachella resentment has come from and why it's stronger this year than ever before. Are we all getting older? Probably. Yeah, I think so. I think that too. <laughs> older and more tired. Last weekend, Lara Worthington graced the cover of News Corp's Stella magazine. It was a rare cover shoot for the former model who, since making headlines in Australia for an affair, a nude photo and a botched engagement with cricket star Michael Clarke, has chosen to retreat almost completely from the public eye. Her interview touched on a few things, but none more searing than her hint that perhaps if 19-year-old Lara Bingle shot to fame in 2019, the country would have treated her with a little more compassion than we did a decade ago. Mish, do you think it's fair with the power of hindsight to say that we collectively drove Lara Worthington out of the country? I think it is fair. I I worry because I think we landed on this topic, Zara, and I thought, yeah, we're going to agree on everything. And then since I've gone away and do my research, I do think she was driven out of the country, but I do wonder if part of that, a small part of that, was her own doing and her management's doing. 
However, I think we did slut shame her and it was abhorrent the way we treated her after the Brennan Favola cheating scandal. Yeah, so a little bit of context here. Lara Bingle, now Lara Worthington, but I think in this context we'll be talking about Lara Bingle, the Mm -hmm. the woman who um, wasn't married to Sam Worthington at the time. Lara Bingle shot to fame when she was just a teenager in an Australian tourism ad that went viral once again. We're just going to use that (laughs) word. Um, Because she ended the ad by saying, where the bloody hell are you? And apparently that was very controversial at the time. How dare she? The B word. The worst of all the words. Right. And then she um, had an affair with an AFL footballer by the name of Brendan Favola. She says at the time, and she was 19, by the way, she did not know that he had a wife. She lived in Sydney. He lived in Melbourne. AFL's not very big in Sydney. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that she didn't know his wife. I would have no idea what NRL players do or don't have wives. I mean, you could Google, but that's for another time. And I mean, I'm not sleeping with NRL players (laughs) anyway, but (laughs) if I was. No, exactly. And then a couple of years after that, a photo of Lara was leaked through football players of of her naked in the shower and it looked like she wasn't consenting to the photo being taken mm-hmm. and it was leaked from Brendan Favola. And ever since then, her reputation was pretty much in tatters. Her relationship with Michael Clark broke down. There were reports that maybe she threw a $200,000 ring down the toilet. She was real fodder for the tabloids at the time. She then had a reality show at one point and then she left the country, married Hollywood star Sam Worthington and has almost completely retreated from public life. She does the odd interview or two. She has a beauty brand um but she is very private these days absolutely i mean she didn't even really announce either pregnancy they were only announced with paparazzi shots it took her a while to even release her two sons names so i think when you look at the dichotomy of who lara bingle was and who lara worthington is it's two very different people and it would make sense why you would want to change your name absolutely because she was so badly slut shamed right she is a model in her own right but so much of her time in the public eye has been defined by the men with which she has been dating or sleeping with. And I think after the Brendan Favola affair and how that all unraveled, I don't blame her for having, she probably does have this resentment towards Australia and towards the Australian media in particular. Because when I was researching for this segment and going back and reading the way that different publications, particularly the Daily Telegraph, wrote about her, it was disgraceful, like very sexist, very patronizing language. It was really gross. I remember thinking exactly the same thing as I was researching for this segment. Even little headlines around her split from Michael Clark when they were engaged in that she was after a slice of his fortune. Mm. I mean, they were partners. They lived together. I'm sure they shared a lot of assets together. The idea that a young woman who, by the way, was not yet 22 when this happened was going to be some kind of gold, gold digger. digger is really gross. Mm. I'm interested in this one uh, big paragraph from the Stella magazine, which kind of made us really start thinking about Lara Worthington with fresh eyes or the Lara Bingle saga with fresh eyes. And I'm going to read it. So Angela Mollard wrote, Worthington does not like to discuss past relationships, but asked to ponder whether nine years on, she might've received greater sympathy in a situation such as the Favola incident when the married AFL stars and his fellow players, a topless shot of her taken without her consent during their brief affair she is willing to reply yes that's why I got quietly excited and passionate about me too because it's part of my history and it comes from that place as well we've progressed so much because where we are now and where we will be in years to come is a good place gone are the days where it's just a man's world Mm. I really thought the thoughtfulness behind those quotes were searing almost in that she didn't want to rat anyone out. She didn't even want any drama attached to this. But the fact she was willing to consider her story as part of something greater like the Me Too movement was very interesting to me as how she might consider her her time in Australia. Yeah, and I mean her time in Australia... As I said in my opening line, I don't think it was entirely the public's doing. I think Lara Bingle was a girl and Lara Worthington's a woman. I know mm. that's an unusual way to phrase it. No, but it's true. I think she did make a string of really silly errors, not only dealing with the Brennan Favola story, but more generally her time in the public eye was marred with a lot of controversy. For example, in May of 2012, she was involved in a traffic incident with a female motorcyclist and fled the scene without exchanging details with the woman that she injured. She lost her license and then was caught driving a series of times She was involved in a string of really poor behaviour incidents. Yeah. And so 
I mean, even with the Favola stuff, after Favola leaked the photo to Woman's Day, who published it, Lara Bingle then signed a $200,000 deal with the same publication to then tell her story, despite at the same time pursuing Brenda Favola for damages. So I think there were lots of things that happened around that time where she probably slipped up with her air in judgment. And I don't even know if that comes down to her. She was so young. She was 19 or 21 when all this stuff came out, either when the affair was revealed or the photo was released. And I think a huge part of that came down to her being a young girl with a terrible manager. I think that's what it is. And that's why I feel so sorry for her as well in that Max Markson, who is a very well-known Australian manager in that he's quite controversial himself, I would say. Mm. And he did um, push her into, I'm going to say push her into because she was a 21-year-old girl, um, into a $200,000 interview with Woman's Day, as you said, after that photo was was kind of released to the public. I didn't have so much of an issue with it. I understand the optics are super weird and not good at all well, it for her doing. Thirsty. It does look thirsty, but then with today's hindsight, I would love if this scenario happened today because I think we would sit behind this microphone and say something like, "You know what? If you got fucked over, and if someone released a nude photo of you, why not make money off that? And why not take the highest offer? Hundred percent. Just probably don't go to the same publication that revealed the photo of you in the first place. Like, I know. That's a no, no, no. Very I agree with you. It's it's a really hard thing to get our head around. Yeah, and Max Markson, I think, is mostly to blame here. He was far older than her. He had a girl who was a teenager when he took her on. And, I mean, he had Warwick Kappa on his books for a bit of an illustration as to the type of talent and the types of profiles that this guy pushes. Not only that, he was involved with Milo Yiannopoulos when he came to Australia a couple of years ago, who's a far right-wing provocateur. So if you want a character reference for what Max Markson is like, there you go. I just feel sorry for her in that scenario because I know she made mistakes mistakes and I know she probably wasn't the best behaved young woman but to have a manager like that when it comes to the celebrity world can be your biggest downfall because your manager is such an influence on the way you handle public controversy and the way you court public attention and to have a man like Max Markson at the helm of your public image is a huge problem. Well she needed to be protected as a 22 year old woman in Australia who was being nationally slut shamed she needed to be protected and she needed to be with someone and managed by someone who could read the room and could actually understand what it's like to be a woman when your reputation is in tatters like that and how to actually win the public back. Looking thirsty, as you say, and going to Women's Day again was not the way to do it. No. I want to talk very quickly about the tourism ad that actually started her career. Scott Morrison, our current prime minister, was actually managing director of um, Tourism Australia when that ad was commissioned. He was. (gasps) And that was just a little like tidbit. But (laughs) the sense even then when that ad kind of broke into public consciousness and we started talking about it and everybody was laughing at it was that she had some part to play Mm. in the ad when she was just a woman in literally being a model in an ad. A teenager in a bikini. Yeah, completely. And I think it's interesting that she played no real part in that ad and yet I felt like we set the tone there that she was a little unruly or would kind of buck stereotypes about what a quiet, pure woman should be. Yeah, we really have tried to pin this idea of what Lara Bingle is to her since the very beginning of her time in the public eye. Like, I think the ad, first of all, was where it all began. And I would love to know how that conversation came about that suddenly she was to blame for the creative process behind what a team would have created. There would have been dozens and dozens, probably men, who came up with that ad. And yet the woman as the actress in it, is suddenly to blame. Well, she's the face of it, right? Yeah. I also think, I mean, I agree with you that there were some average decisions made there, but once again, I'm kind of pinning all of those decisions back on Max Markson. Apart from the driving stuff. Apart from the driving stuff because he wasn't behind the wheel. But being Lyra Bingle, the reality show that we've already spoken about in today's episode, didn't do wonders for her and for what was an already publicly battered Mm -hmm. image i loved the show but once again it probably made her seem more grabby than she needed to to be well it made her seem a bit silly yeah it didn't help her public image at all it made her more famous but for all the wrong reasons which probably explains a lot why now she has a husband who isn't on social media and she barely ever posts anything at all i do before we finish up this chat as well i do wonder i think brendan favola would have deep regret or i hope he would have deep regret over how he behaved in this scenario i think it's quite ironic that he's now one of the most powerful people in the australian radio industry he's 
on the flagship breakfast program at Fox FM in Melbourne alongside Fifi and Byron. I wonder how he would look back on this time and if he still thinks about it at all. And I also wonder how Alex Favola, his now wife again or new fiancé, how she feels about it because she released a voicemail from Lara Bingle at the time in the aftermath of the affair and said that she was obsessed with her husband and that she was this home wrecker. And I wonder how she feels about that now. Like how would you feel about releasing a voicemail of a teenager who didn't perhaps know that your husband was married? Is that is that your husband's responsibility or is it the woman that he slept with? Well, this is the thing that I keep coming back to is I'm still astounded by how young she was and how easily we've all forgotten that. She's only 32 now. Yeah. I feel like she should be 45 based on how much she's gone through. It is. I have a lot of resentment about this story because it's amazing to me that the guy who had the affair, who took a naked photo without consent, who had a gambling problem and a very public drinking problem was afforded a faster path to public redemption than the woman Um, that was involved with him. Mm. Like he had a quicker journey back into our good books and has been in our good books for a very long time, whereas Lara lives in another country and is very quiet about how she goes about her life. Mm. I I have a lot of resentment about that. Um, And I think she probably does and should too. Yeah, I think the the bitter pill to swallow is that we don't readily forgive women, whereas men, if you can kick a 40 around and you're a good sports player, we will forgive you as soon as we snap our fingers. Do you think that there was any path or any way – Lara Worthington or then Lara Bingle could have reworked her public image in Australia? I wonder if she had, first of all, changed management earlier and written something like a memoir or a book, Mm. if that would have been the correct outlet to get her story out there instead of being paid to do these different interviews. I wonder if an interview in a trashy celeb mag would do the same thing as a really well thought out biography and it could have been ghostwritten, it could have been whatever you want it to be, it could have been a memoir. But I think an an avenue like that would have done wonders for Lara Bingle. We also live in a different media cycle now. I don't think tabloids have the same kind of pull that they once had. Magazines are dying. I can't stop coming back to this idea of wondering how this story would have played out in a different climate and a different media news cycle, and I don't think the outcome would have been the same. Post Me Too, it would have been entirely different. Think about how we deal with football players. For example, the Richmond football player a few years ago, Nathan Broad, who released a revenge porn photo of a woman's boobs. Like, how do we handle that compared to how do we handle Brendan Favola at the time? Now, football players, thankfully, are punished for that kind of action, whereas 10 years ago, they were admired and championed. I think that's all we've got time for. Yay! Guys, we hope you've had the best long Easter weekend. We hope you ate a bunch of chocolate and that you spent it with your family and friends. And then, of course, you guys have been safe driving around on the roads. Exactly. We are going to be back in your ears again on Thursday. I have to say... This Thursday's episode uh, is is probably the favourite interview we've done. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's the most special yeah. for sure. And it's the one that probably has a the most important place in our hearts. I think it affected us the most is yeah. what I should say. It certainly affected us the most. Um, we are really excited to get that one in your ears. We're sorry that this whole episode has just been like a whole fuckload of, of clickbait, but we promise you we really adored this episode. So that will drop on Thursday. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Zara is at Zara McDonald. I'm at Michelle Andrews One. We did this last week and then we realized you guys actually followed us, so we're going to keep doing it. The shameless plugs are sickening, <laughs> but look, I probably won't edit them out. Living up to our Instagram title, what can I say? Thank you so much for listening, guys. And as we said, we will catch you on Thursday. Say bye. Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in their mm-hmm. lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.